You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Well, just like a granule of sand in someone's eye that kind of makes you squirm and feel uncomfortable, Ephesians 5 is a chapter in the Bible. Did you like that little segue? Ephesians 5 is a chapter in the Bible that can make people squirm a bit too. It's got a lot to say about marriage. It's got very unpopular commands, commands for women to submit to their husbands. It talks about husbands being the head of their wives. To say it doesn't go down so well in our culture today would be a massive understatement, wouldn't it? In our um, cancel culture society, who knows what cancel culture means? As soon as someone says anything that's not popular, immediately everything that they say is thrown out. Yeah? Or they have to retract it. It's like, that thought's not welcome here. And in in our society that's like that, that cancel culture society, what Paul writes in Ephesians 5 has well and truly cancelled him out with most people. You can imagine people saying, Paul, your insights are just not welcome anymore. They're not welcome anymore. Your thinking is old school. Your thinking is hurtful. It's no good for anyone. Everything you say should be disregarded. You're cancelled, Paul. You can just imagine it, can't you? And that's the view of many people in our society. And this is a view that I would say, sadly, is also held by many in the church today when it comes to Paul's teaching on marriage. But what if we've got it wrong? What if Paul's teaching in Ephesians 5 doesn't only apply to and richly benefit married people, but actually highlights a far bigger and glorious truth that is applicable to every single one of us, whether we're single, divorced, or married. So today, as we continue in our God's story journey and explore Ephesians 5, we're going to discover that Paul's teaching on marriage here is not only good news for married people, married couples, but it's also a powerful illustration, a metaphor that highlights Christ's unfailing love and desire for and unending commitment to his bride the church, news that is good for every single one of us. So let's pray and invite God to make the wonder of the gospel, make the wonder of the truth shine through in this passage as we come around his word today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to just give you thanks for your faithfulness to us. We want to give you honour and glory for all that we have had just kind of illuminated to our hearts over this journey in the Bible, in, on this God's story journey this year. It's, we're just so thankful, God, for the way that you have ministered to each of our hearts. And we trust, God, that today you are going to do something new in us. You're going to bring fresh revelation, perhaps, or illumination of Scripture to make it alive in our hearts and to see us just come to understand at a far deeper level the depths of your love for each one of us. And also, God, how that love is outworked 
and plays out in different contexts, including that of marriage. So God, we pray that you would just speak powerfully and guide us in all truth today by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's start by reading Ephesians 5.22. You don't have to walk out straight away. Stick with me, all right? To 33. It says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Lots to unpack there, isn't there? And we'll, we'll jump back and forward a bit this morning. But let's start with Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. So in verse 31, Paul actually quotes an Old Testament scripture, Genesis 2.24, which maybe for those of us who've been married before, are married, that might have been read at your wedding. It's one of those ones. I, I look at a sample kind of wedding ceremony that I put together. What's in there? For the two shall, you know, leave and cleave. That's what it is. Read Genesis 2.24. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become, what? One flesh. And then in Ephesians 5.32, Paul goes on to make a very mysterious statement about a mystery, doesn't he? It's all super mysterious. Paul writes, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What's this mystery Paul's talking about? Well, when, when Paul's talking about this mystery, he's talking about the hidden plans of God which have come to fulfilment in Christ Jesus. Yeah? So this mystery, the hidden plans of God which have come to fulfilment in Christ Jesus refer to Christ and the church. This is kind of, these guys say it better than I can, so I'm going to read from the ESV Study Bible. The writers write, Paul's meaning is profound. He interprets the original creation of the husband and wife union as itself modelled on Christ's forthcoming union with the church as his body. Therefore, marriage, from the beginning of creation back in Genesis 1, was created by God to be a reflection of and patterned after Christ's relation to the church. Thus, 
Paul's commands regarding the roles of husbands and wives do not merely reflect the culture of his day, but present God's ideal for all marriages at all times as exemplified by the relationship between the bride of Christ, being the church, and Christ himself, the Son of God. Do you see that? See, God's idea for marriage is is not only that it be a, a supportive, nurturing, mutually beneficial and loving environment where both women and men can flourish in intimate relationship with one another, but that all marriages would actually point to something greater than themselves, yeah? That all marriages would reflect, point to, showcase for others the very relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. That's incredible, don't you think? I mean, just think about that for a moment. Earthly marriages have a purpose beyond themselves. Earthly marriages have a purpose. Earthly Christian marriages, let's just throw that in there. Earthly Christian marriages have a purpose to point people to Jesus and his way and heart and desire for the bride of Christ, the church. John Piper comments, they're really, they're really insightful. He says, The union of man and woman in marriage is a mystery because it conceals, as in a parable, a truth about Christ and the church. The divine reality hidden in the metaphor of marriage is that God ordained a permanent union between his son and the church. Human marriage is the earthly image of this divine plan. As God willed for Christ and the church to become one body, so he willed for marriage to reflect this pattern, that the husband and wife become one flesh. I mean, this, this deeper general truth of what Ephesians 5 is getting at, should, I would think, genuinely encourage each and every one of us, irrespective of our relationship status. Let's just, let's just dig down a little bit. Let's, let's draw out what Paul's actually saying here, because what he's saying is amazing. He's saying Jesus is the head of the church, verse 23, and what does he do? He cares for, he shepherds, he nurtures, and he leads his body, and is he himself is its saviour. And what does his church do? They submit to him. They let him lead. They let him love them relentlessly like he does. And Christ loved the church. How did he do it? Verse 25, by giving himself up for her sanctifying the church, cleansing her. Let's just be clear, that that line there, if it's verse 25 or 26, about sanctifying and all that sort of stuff, that's Jesus' work. That's not a husband's work. That's Jesus' work, yeah? Let's Let's just be really clear on that. So Christ loved the church, he gave himself up for her, and he sanctified the church, cleansing her. So why? So that his bride may be truly beautiful, holy, radiant, truly alive and stunning, just as God always intended from back in Genesis 1. 
Verse 29, what else does Christ do? He nourishes and he cherishes his own flesh, his church. Why does he do it? Verse 30, because we are members of his own body. So good. Do you see, do you see this beautiful imagery here? Do you get a sense of Jesus' desire, of his heart, of his love and his care for the church? Do you see how, metaphorically speaking, Jesus serves the church permanently? That's the nature of his union with the church. There's no divorce in Jesus' eyes. We, 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 someone said it before during worship, you know, like his love is unending. You might not feel like you can draw near to him, but you can because he is always faithful no matter what. He serves the church permanently as a nurturing, loving, kind, generous, good and faithful husband. Yeah? Is that good or what? Okay. We're a bit worried here because I'm thinking, I'm actually kind of excited about this. This is, this is good news, friends. And, and let's just be real. Like This is the kind of thing we've seen all over God's story thus far. Yeah? Re- continually, from from the very beginning, and then even in the fall, humankind choose to sin and disobey God. And what does God do? He seeks to restore. He continues to love. And then all through the Old Testament, we see way after way, means after means of God reaching out continually, his unfailing love. Come back to me. Come follow me. Don't do that. Please, this life's best when it's lived with me. Come back to me. He shows himself to be faithful and true and good all the time. And friends, that's the church, right? But let's personalize this, yeah? Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 12, 27 about how collectively we are the body of Christ, but what are we also? Individually, we're members of it. Here's what it says. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So hear this, and don't just hear this, but let it sink into your heart today, friends. Every single truth we have just looked at applies to you. Every single truth applies personally to you. If, you don't, if you're here or watching online and you don't yet have relationship with Jesus, if you're kind of on a journey of seeking spiritual truth, then these truths can and they will apply to you as well if you approach Jesus and choose to follow him in faith today. Hear this, friends. Jesus has and will forever continue to. His heart is permanent. It does not change. There's nothing we can do to stop Jesus being who he is. Jesus continues to passionately and faithfully serve you as a nurturing, loving, kind, generous, and good husband. Friends, others might disappoint you, like Laura was sharing about last week. If you're in the body, chances are you're going to get hurt. Others might disappoint you. People are going to let you down in human relationships. Who's never going to let you down? Jesus Christ, the faithful husband. Other people might fail to see you or even invest in you relationally. You might feel so alone. 
But who will never let you down? Who will never leave you as a loner, for want of a better word? Jesus. Other people might disregard you. Other people might put you down, treat you horrifically, treat you poorly. Jesus will never do that, ever. Jesus continually serves his church, his bride, as the nurturing, loving, kind, generous, good, and faithful husband. And Jesus continually serves you, his daughter, his son, his bride, as a nurturing, loving, kind, generous, good, and faithful husband. Let that reality just just sink in and take root in your heart and maybe even bring healing to your heart this morning. Regardless of our, our current relationship status, whether we're single, whether we're divorced, whether we're married, whatever it is, this is good news. This is good news. This is the love of God for you. I'll say it again, just so we get it, because, I don't know, I can hear things, but then I don't really hear them. Let's hear it in our hearts. Jesus continually serves us, the body, his bride, as a nurturing, loving, kind, generous, good, and faithful husband. And he will not stop serving us in that way until the very end, until the the marriage supper with the lamb that we read of in Revelation. That's how committed he is to each one of us, friends. Is that something to celebrate or? (laughs) I don't know, guys. Is it? (laughs) Is it it like because we got lunch coming or something? And I don't know. Come on, let's get excited. This should just cause us to, to celebrate and marvel in our hearts as we reflect on the the kind of love that Jesus has for us, his bride. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. You might be thinking, well, well, that's all well and good, Joel. I'm all right with Jesus. But how is this good news for wives? How is Ephesians 5 good news for wives? How could submitting to husbands in 2022 possibly be good news for wives? Well, let's have a look. In the verses just prior to this passage, Paul describes, he goes on this lengthy, beautiful Pauline rant, you know, how he does. It's beautiful. He describes what new life looks like for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, people who choose to follow Jesus. Um, I'll read from verse 15. He's he's saying to believers, he's saying, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Gee, that sounds pretty applicable, doesn't it? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Notice this last line here. Paul's urging us 
to do essentially what Laura was encouraging us to do last week as members of God's body. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Lay down our lives in order to serve other people, to encourage them, to build them up, to play our part in God's family, to make sacrifices, humble and lower ourselves, put ourselves under others to sacrificially serve them, sacrificing our wants, our own needs, our own desires for the good of other people, all out of reverence for Christ. Now, this is something that all of us are called to do, isn't it? Every single one of us are called to humble ourselves or really, to use a different term, to submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, to lay down our lives, to put ourselves under other people in order to serve them and bless them. And why are we called to do that? Because we're simply following in the way of Christ who did that for us. All out of reverence for Christ. Now, this call to, to submit does is a general call for all and this call to love and submit is expressed differently in different contexts, including within Christian marriages. Now, if you look at all of chapter 5, you'll see that Paul addresses husbands and wives, children and parents, um, bond servants and masters. You know, he, he goes from this general submission and then he talks about how this general concept of submission then applies drills it down in different contexts. Husband and wives, children and parents, slaves and free, yeah? So let's work our way through Ephesians 5, 22 to 23. But before we go to wives, let's start with the husbands. I'll get there, don't worry. In Ephesians 5, 25, Paul commands husbands to do this. He says, love your wives, how? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, before God, are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Sacrificially, he gave himself up for her. He lay down his very life for her sake. Husbands, according to God, are to put their wives, are to love their wives in a self-sacrificial way, putting their wives' needs, wants, desires um, above their own, following the example of Christ. Now, too often when we read Ephesians 5, we don't get to that first, do we? Because we, we hit the first ones and then we're immediately turned off. But as if that's not enough, Paul continues for husbands. In Ephesians 5, 28 to 29, Paul says, Husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Again, what's Paul? I mean, sometimes us men, we're pretty fear, can't we? We need to hear it in more than one way. But what's Paul saying here? He's saying, husbands, you need to self-sacrificially love your wives. You need to nourish and cherish your wife like you nourish and cherish your own body, following the example of Christ. 
Because, and let, let's, we looked at it before, but in verse 31, it's not just something like, oh, well, you should look after yourself, your wife like yourself, like you feed and care for yourself. That's not what Paul's getting at. He's saying you should look after your wife um, because she is actually your flesh before me. Like that's, that's what happens. The moment of union as husband and wife before God, the two shall become one flesh. So when Paul's calling men to love their wives as their own body, he's saying, love your wife as your wife because you are one body. So love her. Cherish her. And then... For, for those of us men who are slow, and I'm definitely one of them at times, just in case we miss the brief, he continues in verse 33, and he sums up by saying, let every one of you love his wife as himself. That's what husbands are called to do by God, to love their wives as themselves, to make sacrifices, to serve her self-sacrificially, to nourish and cherish, to do anything and everything he possibly can as led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, because who knows we can't do it ourselves. We don't necessarily wake up every day saying, oh, I wonder how I can self-sacrifice for my wife today. But as we pray and invite Holy Spirit to move in our hearts, to make Jesus self Sacrificial love and example be the very thing, the very thing that fuels us as led by the Spirit. That is how we can do it. So we can truly see our wife flourish. I don't know about you, but that is a pretty high and radical call for Christian men, isn't it? Men don't get off easy. And churches who have twisted this passage in the past, I'll leave them to deal with that with God. But there's no room at all for abuse and that sort of thing. You know, it was a, it's an incredibly profound and radical command back in Paul's day. Because remember, in Paul's day, women were possessions. Well, let's just say it how it is. Women had no rights. Uh, they were viewed as their husband's possession, illegally. And... So for, for Paul to be teaching this, husbands, this is what you're meant to do, like that, that, that's, that's messing with things, big time. And so it was a radical command then, but I would say that in our day and age today, in our self-focused, self-obsessed, everything's about me kind of society, that is a pretty radical command for men, husbands to follow today as well. So if you're married and you're hearing this, men, and I'm speaking to myself just as much as everyone else, this is what God's calling you to do. Love your wife like Christ and lay down your life for her. Not just once, not just back on your wedding day, continually as Jesus continues to faithfully serve and lay down his life for us. And friends, if you're not married, any, any single ladies out there, this is the kind of character that you should be looking for in any fella that you're even interested in going on a date with. 
Is he like that? Is he humble? Does he put your needs above his own? If he doesn't, run. (laughs) Really, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. And men, if you're single, whatever, this is the kind of man that we all should be seeking to become with God's help. All right. Now, all the women in the room, tell me, how would you like a husband to love you like that? Would it be all right? You reckon you could handle that? Could you submit yourself to a man who makes endless self-sacrifices for your good? Could you submit yourself to a man who loves you and leads you and cherishes and nurtures you just like Jesus? Could you do that? I'm thinking you could. And I'm thinking that it actually might be a joyous thing for you to do, to give yourself to a man who cared, cares for and loves you like that. All right. I told you we'd get here. Now we're here. Let's turn to wives and look at this command for wives to submit to their husbands. Ephesians 5, 23, 22 to 23. Paul writes, wives, he should have started with men, shouldn't he? It's been so much easier. No, anyway, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then Ephesians 5.33, the summary statement, because women get it first time, they don't need multiple. (laughs) Verse 33 says, Let the wife see that she respects her husbands. So husbands are to love and wives are to submit and respect their own husbands. Why? Out of reverence for Christ in a marriage relationship. Let's be very clear here in what Paul is not saying, right? Let's just be, let's be clear. And we've seen from this passage, if you you consider a husband to be loving their wives like Christ, there, there is absolutely no room for manipulation, for abuse of any kind whatsoever, is there? None. Husbands love your wives does not go up against husbands manipulate your wives or husbands take advantage of your wives or husbands treat your wives like a doormat. That is not there. There's just no part for that whatsoever. There's no part for for men to be making all the decisions for, for women to just be a yes, dear sort of existence, there's no room for that. No room for that whatsoever. You know, this has been such a... I'll be careful. I, I've, I've found it really sad that so often beautiful things are manipulated at times and then you lose the beauty of what is actually here. And I've seen it too many times and I've heard of things too many times. And it's just, it's tragic. But anyway, what we've seen from this passage is that 
there's no room for abuse. It can't possibly be true that women are to live as doormats and just do whatever their husband wants or anything like that, not having a a say in major life decisions or any of that ridiculous stuff. There's no room for that whatsoever. That's abuse. That's abusive. Paul leaves no room for that in a marriage relationship. What Paul's talking about in this passage when he talks about husbands as being the head of their wives is actually around a function, a role, a God-given role that he's asked them to perform for the good of their wives, for the good of their marriage, and, as we saw before, if marriages are ultimately to point people to Christ for the good of a world looking on as well. So this word head in Ephesians 5.23 is, is a Greek word, kephale, and there's, there's a bit of debate around what this word means. Some argue that it means source. Others argue that it means authority over. Now, I'll just say it straight. I am in the authority over camp, and here's why. If you look at, and and some um, historians and scholars actually did this, what they did was, rather than just kind of look at Scripture from a time in history with our own ideas around what words mean, what they did was they actually looked at other ancient documents, other ancient Greek documents that contained this same word, and then they looked in those contexts as to what that means in order to try and understand what Paul is saying then and there. So, in over 50 examples of the use of kephale in ancient Greek writings, not just in the majority, but in every single example, kephale refers to one person's authority over another. That's just, don't shoot me, that's just what it is. Not once does kephale refer to person A as being the source of person B. And so for me, I I find that evidence pretty compelling. So I I think we can be pretty confident as to what Paul's saying here. And and really hear this, because it's a little bit nuanced and it's important that we understand this. Paul's teaching that while wives and husbands both have a part to play in seeing their marriages succeed and flourish and reflect Christ, Paul's saying that husbands are ultimately responsible before God for the health and the beauty and the flourishing of their marriage. That's what Paul's saying. He's not saying men are greater than women. He's not saying that at all. He's saying husbands... God has a role, a function, a service role, because that's what it is, for you to play in this regard. Paul's saying, basically, that the buck stops with husbands. Any Christian husband is, as one writer puts it, bound by love to ensure that his wife finds their marriage a source of rich fulfillment and joyful service to the Lord. So submission, therefore, and if you think about love, laying down your life, what are you doing? You're loving by putting under and submitting, what are you doing? You're submitting and loving by putting under. So there's a mutual kind of thing going on here in husbands loving their wives, wives submitting to their husbands. So submission, therefore, 
on a wife's part is an act of love, where she actually allows her husband to fulfill the role that God has instituted for him to fulfill in their marriage. That of ultimate responsibility, not only responsibility, but ultimate responsibility for the health and the well-being of their relationship. Husband and wife work together, give themselves to one another, serve God together, love one another, both preferencing the needs of their spouse before their own, doing everything that they can possibly to see their marriage flourish. But ultimately, God has tasked husbands with the overarching responsibility to ensure that this happens. Yeah? For their wife's sake, for their marriage's sake, and also, and here's the bigger picture purpose of marriage, also so people can look in at their marriage, they can observe a marriage and get a sense, a visible picture of Jesus' interactions and heart for his bride, the church. Friends, regardless of your relationship status, Ephesians 5 is, contrary to popular opinion today, Ephesians 5 is really good news for all of us. It's good news as we reflect on the kind of man Jesus is. Jesus' unfailing commitment to his bride as husband in that beautiful metaphor, the church. Everyone and anyone who places their faith in him. And it's good news for married couples too. Loving husbands who who lay down their lives for the good of their wives and wives who respect their husbands and allow their loving husbands to lead them in knowing and serving and following Jesus. All of that is good news, isn't it? All of that is good news, at least in theory. At least in theory. Those of us who have either been married or are now still married, you would know that marriage is not always easy. Marriage is a tough, tough gig at times. You know, sometimes we can, even on a personal level, if we look at Ephesians 5 on a personal level and and think about Jesus' unfailing commitment to us, and we kind of hear that, and we, we like this picture of Jesus as the faithful, always loving, always good, self-sacrificial husband serving us in this way, and we kind of acknowledge it as true here, but then for whatever reason, we don't necessarily feel that it's true in our, in our hearts, deep down inside. And sometimes, those of us who are married, we kind of look at these beautiful passages in Scripture and go, wow, that's incredible. And then we just feel despondent. We feel despondent as we, as we compare God's ideal for marriage with our experience of marriage. As we reflect on all the ways our own marriages don't reflect, don't point to, don't showcase for others the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. Well, there's good news for us, 
There's good news for all of us. Jesus wants to see us flourish holistically in life even more than we do. Even more than we do. And if we allow him to, he is really good at making something beautiful out of brokenness, isn't he? He's really good at making something magnificent out of our mess. So what I want to do now is we're just going to have a time of prayer. We're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to invite God to move in our...